Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey everyone, welcome in. We are in our Acts series and uh, we're doing things a little different. Uh, in previous series, we would go through an overview of the book, then bring a scholar in. As we've said, this series is a little different where we've spent a couple episodes giving an overview of Acts. And now we're bringing in practitioners. We're not bringing in scholars. We're bringing in people who have been involved in missions and have been in the world and done uh, some things. And I'm really excited for today because I I might not be overstating this when I say this might be one of my favorite people in the entire world, save the people who live in my house. Uh, And her husband's pretty cool too. I I was going to say Kimberly is awesome. (laughs) And then she had to drag Dave along. (laughs) But uh, Rob, introduce who we got on tonight. Yeah, we're happy to have uh, Dave and Kimberly Shields with us today, and two people that I certainly respect as much as anybody I've ever met in my 33 years of ministry uh, experience. You guys are just, you're gems, you're solid, and you're wonderful, and I just appreciated your friendship all these years as well. Kimberly is the director of Solid Ground International, an anti-trafficking and domestic violence organization in the Philippines, and way smarter than Dave. They together, by the way, have two kids, Joshua, who's currently a junior at Bowling Green State University studying international relations and playing soccer. And Damascus, who just graduated high school and is going to play basketball at the college level and study environmental science. Uh, Dave and Kimberly were involved in starting uh, Rohi Children's Organization in Nakuru, Kenya. Uh, Dave then went on to pastor an extension campus for a couple of years in the States. They then started uh, the Red Window Project in the Philippines as, a non, as an anti-trafficking nonprofit. And I think that's when Kimberly got involved with her current ministry. Is that right, guys? Yep, absolutely. Yep. During, during your time there? Okay, very well. And in the meantime, after that, they've come back to the States. Dave's had a number of roles at some significant churches. And, uh, and in 2020, Dave you know, acknowledges that he went through a tough season, an emotional, spiritual, and physical burnout. And he just felt the Lord leading him away from the role of the title of pastor and to come away to maybe be rebuilt. And so he's, he's just being Dave, the missional Dave, the pastor Dave, and just being Dave in the business world today. Maybe someday go back into full, full-time ministry or not. But we wanted to talk about what the missionary world is like, what the mission world is like, what does it mean? How do we do it? How do we do it well? So just begin, Dave and and Kimberly, kind of just talking a little bit, your overall convictions of of missions and and what is needed to do missions well. Well, first of all, thanks for the great introduction uh, for both of you. You two are definitely two of my favorite people, especially when you let me win fantasy football every year. Uh, Not every year. Well, it was like once in a row. <laughs> Most years. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's Dave, Rob, Dave, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, Justin. We we have been blessed. Kimberly and I have been blessed. And I'll just start and then let Kimberly um, add on and clear up all the confusion that I might speak about. But we have been blessed to have a similar heart with one another. When we got married over, you know, 20 years ago, that we both looked at each other and we said, we know that we're, we're part of the, we're part of those that should go because we're willing and we have a heart for international communities. And we weren't tied down at that time. And we, we just had the ability. So when we got married, we were in debt uh, for school debt and for me, some stupid debt. And, uh, and we worked hard to get out of debt so that we could be free to go. And we started um, looking for places to go. We were almost, we were so excited to actually get called that we were ready to pack our suitcases, show up to the local church and just say, send us anywhere. Mm. Um, That's not what happened. What happened was 
the the church that we had been attending, they were going to take an exploratory trip to Kenya. They needed a male leader to go on the trip, and they asked me to serve as that male leader. I went on that trip, and while I was over there, the Lord really said, hey, let's pitch your tent here for a while. And Kimberly didn't go on that trip. Hmm. And so I came back, and I said, I think, I think we're supposed to move to Kenya. She said, well, that's what I was praying for. And mm-hmm. that was the confirmation. And because we had been preparing for so long, it was within about two months, I think, right, Kimberly, from the time the trip was over to the time we left. I mean, it was a really quick turnaround before we got on the plane and went. Mm. Now, despite our excitement and our enthusiasm to go, we went and we had absolutely zero idea what that actually meant uh, when we landed there as full-time missionaries. So how, how old were you at this time? I was 26. All right. So I was just 30, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, very good. Thanks. Yeah. And so we get to Kenya to help start this children's organization, which is now known as the Nakuru Children's Trust. When we were there, it was the Rohi Children's Organization. Mm-hmm. But we went through a lot. I mean, it was a hard landing. There was, we did not raise enough support. We did not know anything about the culture, really. We, I mean, really, I spent a week and a half there, and then we made the commitment to live there full time. We had no, no official training other than what we pursued personally. We just kind of went, and it's not a, not a pattern I would say is mm-hmm. something I would promote today as a, as a, as a seasoned leader. I would say that I would encourage people to get a little bit more preparation. But through that, we were able to develop some pretty good faith in the Lord to provide and to guide us and to rescue us and to lead us in how to make the most of every day when we're living as absolute strangers. Uh, with a vague idea of what the mission was about. And we just kind of felt our way through that the first few years. Uh, so that's kind of a little bit, you know, more about our, our of our start and our jump yeah. off. Kimberly, speak a little bit about having a heart for missions and doing missions and also having a family. How did that impact you personally? How did that impact your family? Well, we went there without children, and within the first year and a half, we, we had two. So we mm. adopted one, and then obviously I gave birth to one. And so our kids were just involved. Mm-hmm. When we would go on Sundays, we had a, a ministry in the park, and we would meet with those who were staying mostly on the streets, and they would come, and we'd gather for a time of fellowship, and then we would serve them food. The boys were always with us. Mm. Even, even when we had a newborn, <laughs> I don't know if this is something that others should imitate, but they always just went on field work with us until they were able to go to school. And so for them, it was just mm. part of their growing up experience. And to this day, both there and in the Philippines, they are incredibly grateful. Mm. There's always, I think, a question that yep. a lot of missionary parents have. Is this what's right for my kids? They're missing out on this, or especially yeah. when it comes to education. But they have had such a broad education, and they really are real. They're they have such a wide view of the world, so they are tremendously grateful That's to have those experiences. That's I'm good. curious. This was your first stunt. How long did you guys spend in Kenya? Almost six years. Okay, so you spent six years in Kenya, and something happened where you realize, okay, it's time to go back to the States. 
was, was that just needing a break? Was that something that was advised to you or was it just that had that season run its course or uh, was there anything that just prompted that? Yeah, there, there was, um, th- there was, there was a couple of things that factored into that. One was we had heard through some, some older missionaries on the field that unless you get a longer break after six years, mm. you're very ripe for emotional burnout or callousness of heart. Right. Mm. So that factored, that's one thing that kind of was working on my heart. Um, the other thing was the project we were working at had kind of got to the point where one of our main roles was to be a, um, a bridge of trust between the Kenyan leadership and the American leadership. And those two parties, we were, we were really the the center point, the interpreter of that Mm. relationship and helping make that happen for that organization to grow. They, they needed to do that on their own without Mm. an interpreter. They needed to do that without us kind of being in the way. And so there was a practical reason of us kind of needing to allow others to step into leadership. And I mean, we love Kenya. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't mind going back there or whatever, but actually the reality was we kind of got worked ourselves out of a job in, in mm-hmm. essence. Um, and then unfortunately, after we left, the two sides didn't survive. That relationship didn't mm-hmm. survive without somebody who had built trust and helped mm-hmm. that relationship grow. And so there were some issues after we had left that came out about some mistrust and some other things. And mm-hmm. so that always broke my heart. I heard about it when we ended up in the Philippines, I was ready to fly out and try to be a peacemaker there, but they didn't, they weren't really ready for that. <laughs> well, so let's, let's talk about some of this though. Cause I think in missions work, especially coming from an American complex where our context, where we, we have a Superman complex and it's our job to go in and save the world. And we so deal with things like codependency and all these sorts of things. What are some negative aspects of missions that we might go into expecting one thing in terms of what our role is, and we might actually do more damage than good that you've experienced? Well, I I think there's a lot. I'll let Kimberly speak into this. I could speak about that for about six hours. Hmm. Really shortly, I would say being a missionary is very dangerous to the individual soul. And what I mean by that is Hmm. you get a rock star complex really easy. Mm. You are, you are the famous person in the foreign country because you're usually a pretty nice person. You're usually generous. You're helping somebody get something that they didn't formally have. If you're a humanitarian missionary, you know, you're preaching the good news to the poor. You're standing up for what's right. If you're in a social justice mission. And then when you come home, you're the famous missionary who's been living overseas. Mm. So on both sides of the, uh, the equator, the only person who's holding you really authentically accountable is the person in the mirror or the Holy Mm. Spirit. And that can be a real dangerous, if you're not Mm. a person who seeks out accountability. And if you're not a person who is have some, having a counselor in your life that you can speak to and listen Mm. to, you can run. I've, we've seen missionaries just run away with that and Mm. they just end up building smaller kingdoms because it's, it is a, it's pretty exciting. It's nice. People come and they come on short-term teams and bring you gifts you know, mm-hmm. you come home and you're treated, you, everyone takes you out to lunch because they want to hear exciting stories about what does it mean to be in Africa? And, you know, how did you stand up to this? And, and that, that can corrode the soul. I think that's my personal mm-hmm. opinion. I don't know that. I think we were able to get out of that in, in due time, but I think we've come across some missionaries that to be honest with you have overstayed. 
Mm-hmm. And you could tell, um, unfortunately, they're nice people, but they just end up continuing to build their own little flavor. I don't know if Kimberly wants to add anything to that. For me, and I think particularly in relation to my current project, is doing too much for mm-hmm. the people. And people are saying, I'm going to go there and we have all these projects and programs, and then they have to sort of market it and sell it to their donor base in a certain way. So that looks like they're doing all of these grand gestures and changing the world. And really, it's very slow work. Mm. You can go three steps forward and five steps back. And also depending on which segment of the population you work with. And so you have to give them the tools, you have to empower them to be the ones to advocate for themselves, to have the skills, the education, which I have found to be one of the most valuable things that you can mm-hmm. do for, for any person. And so they have to own it to themselves and take mm-hmm. responsibility and have self-agency. Otherwise, when the missionary or the foreign NGO isn't there anymore, it's not sustainable. I remember reading a number of years ago, the book, uh, when helping hurts. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely not like endorsing everything in the book. Cause I'm, that's not my field at all, but in, that was a really, I, I awakening moment for me. Uh, Cause I grew up in a Christian subculture that says, you know, in California, you send weekend trips to Mexico and we build the houses. And then like, we kind of go in and fix it for everyone. And then we come back and then you realize about all these mission trips that happen, whether it's in Mexico or around the world, where you get the, the missionaries who come in to try to do the thing. And then you kind of just get out of town. And it's not like what you were saying, Kimberly, it's not empowering the people who are actually on the ground uh, or like Dave, what you were saying, you're, you're constantly forcing yourself to be that mediator and not actually, uh, empowering the people to actually uh, commune with one another and work with one another, even in that philosophy of like that book and and that kind of idea, how would you speak to that for maybe the person who has no clue about missions and they think that, Hey, no, our job is to go in there and just fix stuff. Like how real is that of a problem? So I think it's really good to have a real basic understanding. You have two, two big branches of missional application. One is the traditional evangelical um, promote the good news, the proclamation side. They're going into unreached people groups. They're translating the Bible. They're planting churches. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're discipling They're You know, there's the, there's that side. Then you have what you would say is the more humanitarian side, meeting a physical need where there's a need, um, whether it's teaching farming or providing technology advantages or advances or, uh, you know, you know, the, you know, the gospel mission is a combination of both. When I read the New Testament, mm-hmm. I never see Jesus teaching publicly without meeting a physical need. And I never see him meeting a physical need without explaining how that how that either identifies him as our savior or explains mm-hmm. a spiritual truth based on that physical need that he provided. Mm-hmm. I see a great balance there. Well, unfortunately, people get swept into one of the two of those other branches and we miss a lot of times the balance. And I think that I think if I were to speak to the church at large about missions, especially short-term or medium-term, long-term missions, I would just say it's even though it's fraught with danger personally and corporately, there's a way to do it right. And we must do it right. And the way is the door of humility. Mm -hmm. When I was the mission uh, director at a larger church and I would send out teams, I would make everybody read Andrew Murray's book on humility, because Mm -hmm. I think, only through that can you go with a learning posture. Mm-hmm. And if and if the if the visitor comes into a local 
a local atmosphere, an international atmosphere where you are, you, you need to have a learning posture and a listening ear and then be invited to share or explain or to understand the context in which you're stepping into. I think that's been my personal experience in our, in our moments of greatest victory have been in a moment where we've had the balance between proclamation and provision, but we've also been quiet a lot. We've also listened and had local Christian men and women speak to us and explain parts of God we couldn't possibly see through American eyes. Mm. We need the majority world church because they understand God the way that Daniel and the lion's dead understand mm. the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood in the fire, the way that, you know, the way Jesus understood the side of God while he was on the cross. Like we don't suffer the way the majority world right. suffers physically. So we need to understand that the only way we're going to understand that is to come alongside of that in the moment and then be quiet mm -hmm. and just, and go through it. And that's really hard to do when you have a mentality of we are the superior race, uh, economic class, whatever it might be, socioeconomic group, and we're coming in to help you. So instead, if you come in with a posture of humility saying we're just coming here to love you, come alongside you and be part of be part of, of your community. So how much do you think that missions has been impacted? And this might be whether you're familiar enough with large scale missions or, or not, or just with your personal experience. Our missions has been impacted by the idea that we're going to Americanize you and not just bring you the gospel. We're going to bring the American gospel, whatever it might be. I'll let Kim, I'll let Kimberly answer right. this. Well, we, we mainly have experience in two countries and they right. are quite different. So okay. in the Philippines, they have so much Western influence, particularly mm -hmm. American influence. You have quite a large OFW, overseas Filipino worker population. Even here in the Bay Area, we meet Filipinos all of the time. Mm -hmm. And so they are already very influenced by American mm -hmm. culture. And we know pastors of churches in the city where we lived, where there are American pastors in charge who are the leader. So, so that wasn't something I think that we were probably particularly sensitive to there. It's also a very loud and very jovial and celebratory culture. So whereas in Kenya, we were conscious of being a lot American in the Philippines. I mean, that's not even, that's not yeah. even a thing. So they were different. And I think that there always is that danger, but if you teach, for example, the gospel for what it is and its truth and in its uh, raw form, and you really go back to what the real meaning was, I think that does translate to, to most places if you, if you yeah. just reach people where they are at and, and build the relationships with them. I think, I think that Americanized way isn't forcing a, it's really not so much about an object or, or a building, but it's the way decisions are made. Hmm. I think that's really the heartbeat of culture. It's the in-between space. And when you think about church life in Philippines, as Kimberly was speaking, I was reminded that Christian celebrity is a real hurdle. Um, and when I say Christian celebrity, not just individuals, but movements, there were church mm -hmm. movements that were born in America. And because, a, you know, an overseas worker came home and said, oh, we've got this new program, this new ministry. We learned it in some town in Iowa, you know, <laughs> and and that's got to apply here. And um, and because they get excited and they get a lot of and it's a group 
culture mentality, they get a lot of people to buy in immediately and it becomes this thing that, you know, it's not necessarily spirit led. It's just mm-hmm. kind of creating movement in Kenya. I would say that their celebrity danger is more about positional celebrity danger. And they're a hierarchical culture where if you're a senior pastor of a church, everyone in town kind of respects you. Imagine that, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, you can't get more different in America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when you're an American pastor, there's not only because your title, just because you call yourself pastor, there's a title. There's also an expectation of you to dress and behave and speak a specific way. Mm. I got criticized a lot whenever I, when they used to say, if I didn't wear a tie when I preached, uh, my testimony would vanish. Mm. Uh, and so, and here you go. Well, that's has nothing to do with the gospel, but who am I? I'm the guest. Was that more in Kenya or in the Philippines? That, 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 was, in the, that was in Kenya. Okay. Yeah. Philippines, you know, not so much more casual It's way more casual in the churches there. It's more about, do you think, you know, they're definitely more into the movements and mm-hmm. you know, what's, what's popular in America needs to be popular there because if it works in America, it's got to work here. Mm-hmm. And so there's, a, there's a little bit of that. I think forcing America, it's more of the way decisions are made, mm-hmm. you know, who makes the final say in what a ministry does so your work in the Philippines, and I think maybe Kimberly's current work in the Philippines, I'm not sure if it's overlapping or not, so help me with this. You dealt a lot with rescuing women from sex trafficking and helping them reintegrate back into society. Is that right? Or We don't personally do the rescuing. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Government does that, and some of our partner NGOs do that, and then they refer the women, and in our previous organization, also there were young men to mm. us. So... It's really, yeah, entering into their story post-rescue where they've already had some care, usually in, in a shelter somewhere, mm. and then they, they come to us. So the first organization we worked with there dealt with um, those that have been rescued and then retraining them for job training for them to get jobs that would, would, would help them survive. And then Kimberly's current organization really meets not only the housing need, but the community need, right? Mm-hmm. And having a community of safe people and whether they're going to school or getting full-time employment and helping them finish the reintegration, um, the reintegration cycle or the reintegration phase, as she mentioned. Let's actually back this up a little bit because there might be some people who are listening to this and we hear the term like human trafficking or something like that, but we might not exactly know what that means. Uh, what happened post Kenya and pre Philippines to get you to the point where you said, Hey, this is a need now, rather than working with kids in an orphanage. It was an orphanage or just a school. Or was it, it, both? Was, it was both. I mean, both. We okay. the school aspects, but it was actually in Kenya that we first learned of trafficking. There was kind mm. of a famous case of trafficking going on there, children to another country mm-hmm. and then we started to hear a little bit about some local cases well of course we left then we came back here and things were also starting there's a lot more conversation about it around here even in the bay area mm-hmm. and especially in san francisco started hearing about the massage parlors mm-hmm. and the local organizations there's there was a lot of movement toward that and so we were just approached about what if we would consider going there to help start this organization and <laughs> We were here for two years and Mm. we were both working full time, but we said yes. Mm. So at the time, yeah, I was pastoring at the extension campus Mm -hmm. and 
um, Kimberly had all, you know, the pretty quickly after coming back from Kenya, she was, she was ready to go out again. I was really cautious about saying, because I know we had built such a trust with our supporters that I knew that if we told our supporters, yeah, God told us to move to Hawaii, we would have been supported. Mm-hmm. And I was really, I was almost overly cautious mm-hmm. to not put that pressure on anybody. I, I needed God to open the skies and say, it's time to go again. And so I was, I was happy serving the Lord locally, um, leading the, the church. And when this opportunity came, I struggled internally. I go, well, this church isn't done and we're, we're on a mission here in this mm-hmm. city. And I was really focused on getting people outside the building. I know Vinny knows. We were and you left us. <laughs> <laughs> and trying to empty the building a little bit. And, yep. and then my friend told me the, the work is never done. Your address mm-hmm. is what changes. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about a great, if, if there's one phrase or one sentence I would want your listeners to really hold on to is, is that, that mm-hmm. the mission never changes addresses change but we lived the same way in kenya and in the philippines as we live now Hmm. Uh, here in pleasanton we we operate with our eyes open to those around us loving our neighbors loving our friends we just had a neighborhood gathering they called me up and they said we need to get together you're always getting us together you know so there's a need for connection and explanation Mm -hmm. and everybody that knows me knows about my faith because it just comes out it's Mm -hmm. wherever so I work for, um, to pay the rent. I work for a window and tour company right now. And I just had an installer ask if he could go to church with me. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's because I've been loving on this guy for a year and mm-hmm. born into his life and helping him with his family and helping him with his work. And I would do the same if I was in Kenya In Kenya, a lot of my greatest, um, expressions of gospel weren't to the kids. Actually, they were to the businessmen and women in, in Nakuru, Kenya, that saw me taking care of kids or saw us working with kids and then wondered why we were doing that. Hmm. And then just coming alongside them. And I've been invited to speak in mosques. I've been doing, you know, I've been on a, on a peace treaty with a, with a Catholic priest and a Muslim Imam and during the tribal clashes. And so the Lord opens doors. If you're, if you're just living life out as Hmm. a Christian. I'm curious with this, if for the person who's listening to this, who might have that desire to do missions in terms of a, a vocation, if you want to call it that, um, or a long-term mission, like there's those indicators of like, how do I know if it's for me or if there's that, that glory that you kind of alluded to earlier that can come along with it, but it's a very difficult job. Are there things that you would say, like just checkpoints that you would say uh, that you'd want to encourage someone to say like, well, Hey, are you doing these sorts of things in your life now? Cause it's not like you become a missionary and all of a sudden you could kick it into missions mode. It, there's, there's probably some, some a way of living and just a way of engaging and loving people that if you're not doing it in your everyday life now, it's just not going to kick in because now you live with a passport in another country. The next greatest successful missionary you'll find won't be the one teaching behind the pulpit. It's the one sweeping up the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the one volunteering to take care of Sunday school class that nobody wants. It's the one sweeping the parking lot of the church or, mm. you know, anonymously serving with full heart and a clear, clear mind and just, and just giving um, that's to me, the heart of an effective missionary. Now you can have, a productive missionary that's a leader in it, you know what I mean? That's up front. I'm not saying that somebody who preaches can't be a missionary. I'm just saying the heart is what I'm speaking about. I know that when, before we went, 
we we intentionally put ourselves in serve in service roles in the churches we were a part of. And we did that to kind of tame our spirits a little bit. We intentionally needed to not seek spotlight so that when it was time, this was all the time when we were like, we were anxious for the call. We were anxious for the direction. And while God was preparing our finances and preparing our logistics, we needed to prepare our hearts and we needed to humble ourselves. I think that also your personal skill set or educational background, people don't always mention it. A lot of missionaries just go. Mm-hmm. I think those can really matter in terms of what line of missions work you get involved in. Now, I don't necessarily call myself a missionary anymore. Yeah. I'm director of a nonprofit. That's how I do refer to myself. But I have learned through a lot of different experience. And then also, since we do focus a lot in our organization on education and being an educator myself, there is some alignment there. And I think that's important. Hmm. Just like we, when you're talking about people going to build houses for a weekend, there's nothing wrong with that. And people, Hmm. a lot of people have been so fortunate to receive those houses, but you also have a lot of people who do that, who don't know what they're don't doing. Have no construction skill. <laughs> that one missionary got in trouble, you know, that she landed in, I forget which country and started a clinic and then started becoming, doing medical practices. She, she wasn't a doctor. <laughs> yeah, not- someone died under her care. Mm. And I mean, that just ruined a lot of the gospel there. Then she became, mm-hmm. she and the clinic became the enemy. Right. And so, yeah, you definitely want to make sure that you're prepared for the task. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it and hopefully it's blessing you. Hey, do us a favor. If this is something that you are digging, if it's helping you, if it's uh, encouraging you, take a second just to like it, give it a review, give it you know, five stars if you think it's five star worthy, uh, share it with your friends. And we just wanna get this out to more people. Uh, this isn't something that we're in for the bucks, but it's something that we wanna encourage and equip people with. So do that, help us out. And now we'll get back to the podcast. I was going to add, Dave, that I think you described the person that should be the missionary as the one sweeping the bathrooms and doing things. I think that's what the pastor should be doing too. I, I really think that's, that's where you find your next pastor. If you're too big to be sweeping the floors or whatever, then you're probably not supposed to be in the role that you're in there also. Can I ask now about, did you guys have experiences of culture shock or have experiences of problematic of readjusting to the Western culture? Yeah, I would say it was harder to adjust back to here than Mm -hmm. going there. I remember the first couple of Sundays after we were fully back here after Kenya and I was in church. This is not a dig on the American church, Mm -hmm. but obviously having been in these Kenyan churches for all of these years where they jump up and down on Sundays Mm -hmm. and clap their hands and raise their arms and it's just very expressive. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. I came back here and after people aren't singing, I, that I was, I just felt a sadness in my soul. I felt a sadness. It hit me because when I was gone, our church had moved from renting mm-hmm. a place to owning their own building. Mm-hmm. And when I came back and walked into that new building for the first time, I, I sat down and, and cried and wept mm-hmm. and spoke to our senior pastor about it and just said, I, you know, I come from a place where we met in a church under a tree and mm-hmm. at a humble chapel on Sunday mornings. And, and so it's just hard for me that there's this affluence here. And 
he mentioned to me, it was really soothing. He said, if this, this is just a tool to reach the people here. And if it ever becomes more than a tool, we'll get rid of it. Now, that at the time it was a great, it was great, <laughs> it was what I needed to hear. And but that that really hit me. And I think coming from a quiet culture at night in Kenya, the noise level here was really mm. we took our kids to some event at a church. It was a Halloween candy event. They never celebrated Halloween in their life. And we couldn't stay more than 10 minutes. It was just too much too much in our face. Mm. Now coming back from the Philippines, it was quiet. It was quiet here. <laughs> so we're like, wow, there's no fireworks going off every night. What's going on? But we lived in the heart of a mm. very bustling, loud 24 seven city in the Philippines. Mm. So, so, so let's, let's talk about that. Let's transition into the, the so, uh, cause we got a little bit of a background. You guys decide now you're in the States for a couple of years. You decide to move to the Philippines in order to work with trafficking victims and an organization there uh let, let's let's get into that you know mode yeah so we land there and this is a brand new organization in the heart of a city with some very invested partner nonprofits and these partner nonprofits are also most of them were run by western people right so it was a much different start than we had in Kenya where we're partnering with local leaders so working with Western-minded leaders in a Western-friendly culture in the heart of a city, we were talking about building an organization, finding office space, hiring staff, figuring out what our actual programs and policies would be once this organization kicked off. So it was very much like taking a, a corporate job overseas at the beginning. Now, we still had our weekend finding a local church and ministering. We started serving in that local church apart from our nonprofit organization. So we were living as Christians working for this organization, but still being involved in the community on our own time. Hmm. That grew because of the nature of the work as a, as a white male working with uh, an anti-trafficking organization. My role was pretty limited once it got started. I was a, a spiritual leader for the organization. And so I worked on creating a, a platform of connecting these young men and women, their faith a little bit. And so we would have faith kind of classes, but more of my time started going out into the community and working with other leaders and kind of being a counselor and a friend to other nonprofit organizations that were experiencing burnout. And mm -hmm. then of course, like in any, uh, in any place, you'll have physical issues like typhoons and mm -hmm. fires and earthquakes. And so my role began to mobilize the faith community to respond to local disasters. So um, my, my role shifted pretty quickly after we landed there, and then I was only part-time at this job. I would come in just to teach the classes, and I wasn't running that. I wasn't helping to run that organization. Kimberly, we, had, we, we identified within, I think, two years of being there that housing was a real need, and that really stopped the healing process. So she was approached by a partner, and they launched her current organization. So she's been serving there for a long time now. But just but when we get into Kimberly's story, I'm curious, going into the Philippines then, was the idea that you guys were going to be partners or was it just going to be filling it out? Or Dave, did you imagine yourself having the, I don't know if you want to call it the lead role in this, but, or is this something that you just kind of went into and you were just completely open to, Hey, this might be your thoughts as we hit the ground, but we're always open to whatever shift might happen uh, happening. You know, I thought that because our sponsoring church 
was the same sponsoring church that sponsored our Kenyan mission, that my role was going to be that, that interpreting role again, and that mediator role. And, and, and early on, that was, that was the case. But because the head person on the ground was also an American, that need wasn't a big need. Hmm. So after helping him get started, uh, he needed a little bit of, I guess, my brotherly encouragement early on. Um, and so I was able to do that for him at the start after we got the staff hired and after we got some spiritual rhythms as an organization, he was able to take it to the next level and I needed to get out of his way and just kind of step, step down a little bit and kind of, again, it, it's a little, and I don't want to brag. I'm not saying, Hey, I got it right, but God seems to put me in situations where stepping down helps the process for other people. So I, I tend to be able to do that and then find work. I just find something to do and I'm going to do it. Every day would be busy. I was always going to be sharing the gospel to somebody in a coffee shop or donut shop and leading a Bible study in the dump sites or in the prisons. And we launched Matthew 25 ministries there. We launched a lot of different organizational efforts to meet people where they were. And I don't regret one day of living in the Philippines. I, I, I'm jealous that Kimberly gets to go back, but he has me here now and I'm trying to make the most of doing it here. And I, I was quite different. So when I would go to Solid Ground International, I'll just call it SGI, it, it was very much, it, it's residential care. So it's 24 seven just because it is, but I would, it was very much an eight to five. And, you know, we have a social worker, we have house parents, we have partners, we have case conferences. So it's very much a professional type mm -hmm. of role with very well-defined responsibilities. I have to hire staff members. And so I think in doing that role, and I was the only non-Filipino in the organization and still am, in doing that role, I do think my overall philosophy and approach has evolved over time. Whereas in Kenya, we're like, we're going to leave this to the locals. So all of our responsibilities, the day we left, there were local Kenyan mm -hmm. teachers and staff members who were able to take over those roles. In the Philippines, I'm not, that's not a goal for our organization. And, and I also think that's okay. I think it depends on the nature of the work. And I think there are some real practical and valid reasons why there is a validity. It doesn't have to be me, but in having someone there, since the board is all based here, it just, it makes sense for us to follow this particular model. And I know a lot of organizations there that do follow this model. And there does, most of those organizations, they usually only have one or two foreigners who are working and the rest are locals. I think you hit on something too that I'd want to speak on to make, I don't know if we'll get to it organically. So I'm just going to say it here that sometimes I think in the past, the goal was always to maintain all of the authority on the Western side and mm -hmm. all leadership on the Western side. And then in recent years, there's been a movement of national leadership mm -hmm. where you're, you're, you're wanting to raise local leaders and hand over everything. And I think both efforts are miss, miss, I guess, misaligned, or I don't know what the word is, but they're, they're both off. I think the true call is find out who's called and it doesn't matter what, where you were born, find out who has the gifting who has mm. the compassion, who is representing Christ well in that role mm. and then let them lead. Mm. Whether they're American or whether they're Filipino, whether they're Kenyan, whether they're Slavic or whatever, wherever mm. they come from, isn't the issue. It's who are they becoming in Christ 
And is that the kind of leader that this organization or mission or church needs at that season? And I think that trying to get that balance or trying to get that formula correct, we're, we're on the wrong, it's the wrong goalpost. That takes leadership skills though, right? I mean, that takes a person who goes over there and as the missionary to have a leadership mentality to say, this is what leadership looks like. And leadership looks like empowering the person that has that skill to do it. And it might mean diminishing my own role. A lot of people don't have that ability sometimes, unfortunately, tragically. Yeah. But yeah. I'd also say trust is a huge component. I mean, mm -hmm. you are dealing with money, a lot of money mm. in some cases. And so you, there has to be that really high level of integrity and accountability. And just mm. because someone is called to it, it doesn't mean they right. don't have high well, integrity. Well, that's why I'm saying, yeah, you have to look at who they are and who they're yeah. becoming. And I would say that in my, my experience, the number one reason why missionaries leave the field are relational difficulties mm -hmm. and then financial tension. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, and they're usually intertwined. Mm -hmm. Usually when there's a conflict with a local leader, it's over money. Mm -hmm. it, it's over a misunderstanding. Oh, I gave this money for this reason. And it was spent this way. Or there's a mistrust from the local leader to the foreigner saying, look at the way you live. You must be stealing all the money mm -hmm. that was meant for us. Mm -hmm. And because their standard of living is so much higher than those of the local. And so there's that always looking, okay, who's trying to take this little pot of gold that is given by the church, right? Especially when so many of those people in the foreign lands are sometimes desperate for daily subsistence. There yeah. comes this, hey, why are you not helping me? And that, I imagine that creates quite, quite a tension. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, and it's no different when you're just dealing with one American versus another American. I mean, mm -hmm. we see it every day, you know, Christians suing other Christians and churches being split over the way decisions are made. And it's unfortunate. It's the ugly side mm -hmm. of humanity. Mm -hmm. And it, it gets a microscope in the missional field because there's all the cultural difference and all the language, you know, there's just so much on top of that. If I can take this now to maybe some practical steps as we kind of finish up here pretty soon, what are some things that as people in the mission field that you would say, I wish people in the American churches knew this or knew these things? I wish uh, if you're going on a short-term team, pack less. You don't need to carry two suitcases uh, and you don't need to change clothes every day. You, you're, you're okay. Most people you encounter in a majority world situation have two sets of clothes maximum. Mm. So you don't need your Sunday best. You, you don't need to. And I would say uh, that's just the funny thing that comes to my mind. And we have a ton of stories about what people brought and what they tried to leave behind. Um, oh boy. Yeah as donate as donations with quotation marks right it's not it's not, it's not the goodwill but i would say <laughs> i would say i would say it's still worth the church's time and investment to send short-term teams okay but stop using the term mission trips mm. i would call them discipleship trips or learning trips change the culture of what it was intended for it is mm. never going to you're not going to go in seven days and yet God can do great things. God can mm -hmm. rescue somebody and can use you to do it. Absolutely. Amen. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, you're the one that's being changed. You're the yeah, one that's, that's right. Being and so just own up to it. And you know what? 
well, then no one will give money for that trip. Well, then the church needs to be taught that discipleship includes experiencing faith through another set of eyes. Yeah, right. So I'm going to invest in a young person's life to go and experience that because I want them to be discipled, not because I want them to go and produce some work for the church. Mm -hmm. I want them to grow up in Christ. And that's worth our investment to send them for that week down to Mexico, building a house, painting a house that gets painted every year. That's fine. But what relationships are they building? What are right, they right. the locals? That's the true part of the mission trip. Right, right, right. And I'll put in the show notes. I have an organization that I know well that works with short-term missions teams, but they do a lot of pre-work and post-work to make sure that you're going over there. We're aware of the cultural context and things of that nature. Because would you say that short-term mission teams can often do more damage than good or occasionally do more damage than good? I think it depends. We've had a couple of teams come to SGI and they have they have been such positive mm, experiences good. for these women. So I really think it depends on how you craft the trip. Okay. And if it's really intentional about the relational relational side and just sitting with the women and just having real conversations, doing some service projects, yeah, but not going there with this mentality like I oh she was just rescued from trafficking and I'm just gonna go and mm -hmm. it's gonna be revolutionary just having some realistic expectations about it I think is very helpful there have been some damage done in short-term trips there's been some damage done in long-term missionaries there's been mm -hmm. some damage done in uh national organic churches that were birthed there and had no American touches mm -hmm. As the damage comes from the human heart mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this and the savior of the human heart is is jesus and i think that we can't we can't escape the danger but we can't escape the blessing either so mm -hmm. i think the blessing is worth the danger and i think we need to invest like you're saying in pre-work preparation humility understanding uh starting out with a learning posture and then and then one one great practical idea i wish a church would take the, take me up on this require everybody that goes on a short-term trip to have a named prayer partner that they have to report back to when mm. they come back. And a lot of people say, oh, I've got prayer partners, but they don't come to the team meetings, right? They're not part of the preparation. That prayer partner needs to be known by the mission trip leader. Mm. So that the idea is to disciple the person experiencing the trip. So that prayer partner is the one that's going to be their accountability partner when they come back. And all of the promises they make to God while they're in while they're in Kenya, they come back. They have to report, "Hey, this is what I I said to God. I was going to change my life in this area because I learned from this Kenyan leader." And now they have somebody that they can hold accountable, mm -hmm. hold them accountable, or encourage them to do, continue on those things. I I think more people should be involved rather than the ten yep. to twelve youth that end up going. Fantastic. My question, let's go back to it now. In terms of what are some things that, that you want people in American churches to know about the missionaries themselves? What are their, their needs? What, how they can support them better? How they can understand what they're going through when they come back? What are their needs? How can we better understand the mindset of the missionaries and where they're at and what they're going through to support them better? They need community. We had mm. really close friends everywhere we've lived and We'd go to their house on a Saturday evening and we'd eat a meal together and play games or sometimes take little trips with our families. So I think that's really important. And 
of course, that's not necessarily from the U.S. side that happens within country, but from this side or whatever country of origin it may be, I think lots of just encouragement, knowing that there's people in your corner and they want to see God's will accomplished through the work that you're doing. I would say that when somebody is serving in a, in a foreign country, one great need is to keep them updated on not national news, but keep them updated on local church stuff that's going on. Hmm. We end up having to write newsletters every week, every month, right? It's one of the dreaded responsibilities of missionaries. We're constantly telling other people what we're doing and nobody's telling us. So when we leave and come back after three or four years and so many things have changed or somebody's died somebody has graduated, somebody got married, um, and we have to learn that on the, so we feel, mm. you feel the gap a lot more. So getting mm. more relational conversations, what's going on with, with, the, with our U S family and friends, uh, that that's mm. helpful. When the missionary comes back, I think giving them appropriate space and appropriate closeness. And so what I mean by that is not to advocate the role of being a friend but also not smothering people because mm-hmm. it is, it, it, there is some whiplash that goes on, right? It's like mm-hmm. the, the airport moving sidewalk and then it comes to mm-hmm. a stop. <laughs> if you're not ready for it, you get that little jerk. So just saying, Hey, I'd love to hear about how you're doing, but anytime you're ready, you know, let's have a cup of coffee, but I'm going to let you reach out to me because when we, we've been trained Anytime somebody wants coffee, I have to take over that responsibility because Mm. they supported me. I owe them a report Mm -hmm. and it becomes work instead of a friendship. Mm -hmm. So authentic friendship gives appropriate closeness and appropriate space. What are some things that you think people's conceptions of what a missionary is and how those conceptions are false? Yeah, the disconnect is that we're super human spiritual giants and <laughs> we're really just broken <laughs> dirt. Uh, we, we struggle with sin. We struggle <laughs> with selfishness. We struggle with pride. We struggle with anger and disappointment and sadness and doubt and fear and all of that stuff. <laughs> and then we go through the process of taking all of that to the Lord <laughs> and work through it. Just like anybody else We're <laughs> we have no greater, spiritual muscle than somebody who works as a teacher than somebody who works as a fireman. It's, it's just, God's our strength. And yeah, we have some, some experience that creates like, yeah, not everybody has their life threatened for the gospel, right? (laughs) We've had that happen. Um, We've had, we've experienced some turmoil. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen the ugliness of someone dying in a, in a tuberculosis hospital, we've seen mm-hmm. Bible clashes. We've seen, we've been threatened by the Chinese triads when, because we were trying to rescue women from trafficking. We've seen some ugliness. So yeah, that's, that's the headline. But the reality is we're still Dave and Kimberly and mm-hmm. we're a married couple that's learning how to be parents and learning how to be married. And, and so we, we stumble sometimes and we're, but we like to laugh. We like to have fun. We like to take breaks. <laughs> we need a day of rest. Uh, I still root for the Patriots. Amen. It's disgusting. That gives you help. That gives you hope. If I can add to that too, if anyone's listening, your pastors are the same way. It's so easy to idolize them and put them on, on pedestals. And it's hard for pastors to be transparent in front of a congregation. And sometimes they probably shouldn't be too transparent. 
But because of that, they get idolized and they get put on this pedestal and they have to some of the same struggles that you have. So, um, well, just to bridge that, because Dave, as someone who served as a, a, a pastor in between, is kind of sandwiched in between missionary trips where you were actually overseeing a local congregation. What are the connectable struggles that we can encourage our, our listeners with when it comes to that, how we view pastors and missionaries and, and what you experience and the differences and the similarities there uh, in terms of just how hu real human people who serve other people will struggle with things? Well, I'll, I'll be vulnerable to you guys as I, as I had been before. This is, is only going out to the whole world on a podcast, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, but this is just between, just between us right now, Dave. Just between, yeah, just between us in this room here. That, you know, I, I was no victim, but part of my coping mechanism for the wounds that I got emotionally through ministry mm -hmm. was to work harder mm -hmm. and work longer and to people please. Mm -hmm. And so ministry success was something that came because I worked harder and longer and I made people feel good about what was happening. And that created a deeper wound. It didn't cure the wounds that I had through relationships that went wrong and other things that happened. Right. So that's the same, whether you're in, in any kind of leadership, whether it's a local church or a mission field or anything like that. So I would say that what I learned from that was to make sure that your pastor, your leader, your influencer has a safe friend mm -hmm. that isn't under their care mm -hmm that they could download to and be, mm -hmm. I, I mean, to get counseling. I think every leader should have a counselor functioning friend mm -hmm. or safe person and that they have to be held accountable to utilize that friendship for that mm -hmm. reason and not just go to movies, but to have real conversations. How are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing in your parenting? How are you doing in your finances? How are you doing mm -hmm. physically? Are you taking care of the body that gave God gave you? Are you mm -hmm. getting enough sleep? Um, what's giving you joy and satisfaction? Is it people saying amen after your sentence? Or is it the, the knowledge that you said what God wanted you to say? Mm -hmm. And that's a huge ego thing, right? And for me, I tried to self-medicate through my own effort. And the human body has limits. And I reached my limit in 2020. Mm -hmm. and uh and got to a got to a bad place thankfully my wife was there to catch me and to direct me to get counseling and um and that's what i did and part of that counseling and prayerful walking back was the lord giving me some time to learn what it means to relearn what it meant to just to be dave and be a believer mm -hmm. and not have the burden of leadership and now mm -hmm. again i'm i'm still leading where i'm at um mm -hmm. god keeps opening more doors for me to be a leader but I've learned a lot about mental health and uh, mental health in a spirit with a spiritual basis that I <laughs> launched. I launched a mental health business for athletes. And so that's kind of what I'm focusing on now and helping young athletes work their way through anxiety and stress and fear. And it's given me a great new mission field. <laughs> Anything that we missed that you would want to make sure, Hey, I want to make sure we say this before we're done. How about an encouragement to those that just give money? Um, mm. That's that's valid. That's a valid participation in the ministry. Uh, and I do think you need to be wise. I do think you're right to ask questions. Mm. I think transparency and finances are important, but it shouldn't be an excuse for paralysis of generosity. I think mm. I think we all need to participate and find 
find an organization outside of ourselves, find a movement outside of ourselves that we could participate in prayerfully and financially. So um, whatever that is, you know, whatever moves you emotionally, whatever moves you spiritually, uh, find somebody who's doing that really well. And if you can't go, then, then, then send, um, and mm-hmm. prayer and giving. Amen. Hey, well, we appreciate just you guys as people, uh, both David and Kimberly, thanks for coming on with us. But when Rob and I were talking about who we should bring on, it was like, why, why don't we have yeah, the no, shields on? One. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so easy. One. Yeah. Just, yeah. just to have like selfishly the opportunity to chat with you guys again, because we've appreciated you guys for yeah. a long time now. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, thanks again. I hope maybe we'll try to find some the way we could sneak you on again in some other uh, future show, uh, or it will just be at our fantasy football draft. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. I know. I know, um, I know. Hey, no, seriously, you guys have been a blessing and this is a part of my, you know, longer journey uh, mm-hmm. to talk about this stuff and, you know, just noticing how excited I get about it. And I do have something to say in this arena. So uh, thanks for giving me a platform to share some of those thoughts absolutely come on awesome. back anytime you want yeah hey kimberly if someone wanted to uh help or get information about your organization or maybe even become a partner and, and help support in some way how would they be able to find that out so they can go to our website if you just look up solid ground international it will come up we uh, of course have instagram and facebook as well <laughs> okay cool and we'll link to that in the show notes Great. So great. Awesome. Hey, hope everyone enjoyed this uh, talk as much as we did. And if you didn't, that's fine. Cause Rob and I did. Uh, so that's okay. That's but that's yeah. Yeah. Podcast, yeah. Of you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Hope everyone enjoys it. We'll see you next week with our next show. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.